0: The people have spoken, and Jeff Ross has returned for Roast Battle 2. The four-night event features top comedians getting verbally violent until just one is left standing. Featuring a star-studded lineup of judges, including Snoop Dogg, Sarah Silverman, Jason Sudeikis, this is a battle you do not want to miss. The four-night event begins January 26th at 10, 9 central on Comedy Central. And don't miss the live finale on Sunday, January 29th at 10, 9 central to see who gets crowned the king or queen of cruelty. No team goes into the season without a game plan, and Buffalo Wild Wings knows that football fans need a game plan that's built for game day glory. A game plan that should include 21 signature sauces and seasonings, a great lineup of beer taps, and an arsenal of wall-to-wall TVs. All those details make for a game day plan that can't be beat. So, win or lose, if you're a football fan, you still win at having the best game day atmosphere around. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. We do it for you because you're a football fan. Welcome to The Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Mays. I'm a writer at The Ringer. Joining me into the line is Danny Kelly. Danny, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, man. I am fully into the acceptance uh, phase of of grief or whatever you call it. Um, You know, my Seahawks are out of the the game at this point, but excited about the games this weekend.
0: Oh, I thought you were talking about the inauguration. (laughs) Well,
1: you got, no, I'm not quite there yet.
0: (laughs) I was like, Danny, I didn't know we were going to go there this early on the show. Let's keep this to sports today, man. Yeah, that that works for me because I'm actually excited about the weekend in football that is about to come. I've been in Atlanta all week, just kind of being around the Falcons and. If I could be more excited about the game on Sunday, I I am. It it has somehow juiced me even more because that game is going to be fantastic. You know, It's Steelers-Patriots on the other side. What more could you want? And we're going to do something similar on this show to what we've done on the last couple shows we've done with the early playoff rounds. We're Mm -hmm. just going to dig into these, and because we only have two games, we're just going to beef it up. Let's do this. Let's start with Falcons-Green Bay. Uh, Okay. You wrote actually today about a couple numbers that just stuck out to you about these games. What are your numbers of note to go along with this one?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, basically everyone expects this game to be really high scoring and, and both The, of the over-under
0: s- is 61. <laughs>
1: <laughs> has there, I don't know if you've looked it up, Is there, has there ever been a higher playoff game? The, uh,
0: definitively, there has not been, no. <laughs>
1: Holy shit,
0: seriously? Nope.
1: Okay, wow, so there you go. This is, uh, I mean, it's two really, really great offenses against two really pretty bad defenses, and, and that's kind of what the stats that I picked out talked about, and uh, for the Falcons, first off, 73% of their red zone defensive red zone series ended in touchdowns 73% which is I mean like the Giants for for instance I think we're in the 30s 39% or something like that so I mean teams are getting touchdowns seven out of ten times they get inside the 20 yard line which is I mean essentially they're trying to be a, a bend don't break offense I know that's like Dan Quinn's philosophy that's what sort of the Seahawks are too. you know keep everything in front of you don't get beat deep and then stiffen up in the red zone. But this team is is just I'm getting essentially worse once teams get into the in, inside the red zone.
0: I have a theory about that, and I was reading your thing today and was kind of thinking about, oh, why is that the case personnel-wise? Yeah. And they are very, very good. I wrote about the Falcons' defense today and just the speed they have on that side of the ball. They're mm-hmm. ninth in the league in average yards per catch allowed, a yard average yak allowed on receptions. It oh, really okay. speaks to the philosophy and the people that they have. They're going to let you. Ricardo Allen told me they play pure zone defense, just reading the quarterback's eyes about 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. And that is going to open up inevitably some stuff underneath. And the Falcons are excellent because of their speed at cleaning that shit up, whether it's Devondre Campbell, whether it's Deion Jones, whether it's Keanu Neal. The problem is when you get into the red zone, that becomes negated. There is no space, so you don't have the strength to rely on of being able to clean up that space and cover it. They cover a lot of ground. When the ground shrinks, that no longer becomes an advantage. And when you look at a team like the Seahawks, you have guys like Michael Bennett. You have guys like Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, excellent run defenders that are able to stiffen up when you get into a tighter space. Atlanta, especially as they've lost guys like Adrian Claiborne, who is their kind of Michael Bennett light as a guy that moves inside everything else, they have lost run defenders that make them better. And I feel like that's the reason that when you get into tight areas, they just don't really have a shot against really good offenses.
1: Right. And I mean, also, they don't have Richard Sherman and, and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas who can, you know, they're are very very good coverage players too so i mean well, also yeah.
0: richard sherman and i mean richard sherman's an excellent run defending corner
1: that's true and yeah, and,
0: and cam chancellor is a human battering ram so i mean there's a lot of bodies yeah. on that seattle defense that this these this group just doesn't have they're trying to develop that physicality but they're not nearly there yet
1: yeah and i mean i talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we, we were talking about how the, the seahawks defense has changed without earl thomas Uh, Essentially, it's bad. And so I I wonder, you know, like if really anyone can run like the the ideal version of the Seahawks defense, which is what I think they're trying to do in in Atlanta uh, without, you know, some of the personnel that they really need. So I don't know, maybe it's kind of an interesting question. Longer term, like can the Seahawks quote the seahawks defense actually work without like earl thomas or certain key cogs in it and and right now obviously the the answer for atlanta is no i mean their defense is just pretty bad overall so yeah that that stat really stood out to me um especially against a team like the packers who have been scoring and and moving the ball so easily the last eight weeks or whatever it's been um you know if, if they can't force a few field goals, you know, like limit Aaron Rodgers once they move the ball into the red zone make give make force them to have field goals rather than touchdowns. I mean, if they can't do that, then I don't know, like th- that could be their undoing.
0: For me, it's not about forcing field goals, it's about taking The Packers offense off the field in a single play I think that's the only shot Atlanta has Of stopping the Packers from scoring points The number that I pulled is the Falcons Have caused 13 turnovers In their last 7 games Including the Seattle playoff win Wow! After They had 11 in their first 10 games So this is really a unit That has started to take the ball away And there are times where that's a fluke With some teams But I think that the suddenness they have All over their defense Makes them the type of group That can swing a game in this way if you look at the numbers, Vic Beasley leads the league in forced fumbles with six. Keanu Neal is tied for third at five. Jeez. Deion Jones is, has, is tied for the league lead among linebackers, the 11 passes defensed. This team gets their hands on the ball. And I yeah. think against Rodgers, that's exactly what they're going to need to do. They're going to need to take the ball away. Because if they don't, I don't think they have a chance of stopping him consistently
1: right yeah and that's exactly kind of what i've been writing about when it comes to beating either the packers or the falcons throughout the whole playoffs it's essentially like taking the ball away one or two times it's like one or two big plays could be the difference because it's going to be just a shootout otherwise and the team that makes one or two key stops is probably going to be the one that comes out on top you know comes out ahead at the end so absolutely i think that's that's a huge one and I mean, it, it, it kind of goes well with what I was saying in, it, in the sense that, like, they're not stopping anyone. They need to get a turnover. They're not stopping anyone inside the red zone, I should say. They need to get turnovers rather than, you know, like you said, forcing field goals. So I think those are two really big points. Um, on the other side of the ball, I had a interesting stat. And I'll ask you this, like, if you can explain this to me. But the Packers finished 23rd in the NFL against the deep ball this year, preferable outsiders. And... If you separate it out into the left, middle, and right, they're first in the NFL on passes to the deep left, negative 72 DUVOA. They're 19th in the middle, and then dead last on passes to the deep right. So, I mean, I don't know why they're so different on the left and the right, but... They move
0: their corners.
1: They do sometimes. They they weren't always. They have a lot lately. Um, I kind of think Gunter has kind of been turned into their number one guy. And, you know, he's the guy. God, which
0: think about that statement for a second. Jesus.
1: Yeah. Right. So, I mean, they've just had so many injuries and they're essentially relying on like a, a, a I don't know what mid round he came from, but a mid round rookie to to be their shutdown corner, you know. And I mean he got worked last week by Des Bryant. He played pretty well against the Giants. Um but the overall the Packers are atrocious on passes to the deep right and lo and behold the Falcons, guess who gets guess where they're deadliest? <laughs> yeah, to the to the deep right. They they ranked number 1 in completion percentage in the NFL, 64.5% on deep passes. That is I believe the way the NFL does it is 16 yards or more um an average gain on those passes is 21.9 yards and that those are both number one
0: and that's where taylor gabriel does his work and that's where most of his shots have come is on that side and the play that i'm thinking about is one that matt ryan actually talked to me about earlier in the season just that they knew they had it as soon as they lined up and it was the one where gabriel was on the outside they had austin hooper kind of as a slot receiver to the right they ran a little pin route with Hooper against quarter's coverage to pull the safety up, mm-hmm. which more or less turns it into man with Gabriel on the outside. Right. Guess who's not going to guard Taylor Gabriel in man coverage? <laughs> Any cornerback on the Packers. <laughs> so right. that actually leads to my hero of the day for Atlanta. And this could be Taylor Gabriel. Uh, I feel like he nice. is the type of guy that can really take advantage of this Packers defense. They struggled against the deep ball. And Atlanta does such a good job of scheming ways to get him open down the field that I think he could have a huge game. And if he does, it's going to be hard for the Packers to score enough points to beat the Falcons, even with Rogers playing this way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I if you go back to the Giants game when Green Bay, you know, ran away with it, sort of in the second half after they, they got the Hail Mary and kind of took o- took over um, early in the game, they had like a couple plays where the Giants just had them beat deep, and yep. Eli Manning just missed. Yep. And and then they did
0: miss on the one. He hit Tavares King, which if Tavares King is beating you deep, you should (laughs) live in constant fear of of Taylor Gabriel.
1: (laughs) Right. And and I mean, so Matt Ryan's not going to miss those passes. He hasn't all year. Um, I just I have uh, this Falcons offense is so, so efficient. And so just they're really, really, really good at executing. And so against this defense, I think that they're going to just kind of feast, and it's going to be up to Aaron Rodgers to you know kind of just keep
0: him in the game all game. And another thing we should probably talk about is just that it, it, the whole theme with this Atlanta offense, right, is that they have so many ways to beat you, mm-hmm. even if Micah Hyde is in the game on every single snap, which, considering he was against Dallas, he probably will be against Atlanta. makes <laughs> zero sense. But if you're the Falcons, I could see them using Tevin Coleman out in the slot and out wide a bunch in the hopes of getting either Taylor Martinez or Blake Martinez, excuse me. I don't know who's Taylor Martinez. Taylor Martinez is the, is the quarterback Nebraska. is the is the quarterback <laughs> for Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Getting Blake getting Blake Martinez and Jake Ryan out on Tevin Coleman, because that's a win for Atlanta every single time. Mm-hmm. So no matter how you want to spin it, the Falcons are going to find mismatches. I can't oh, yeah. I can find I in my mind. I can build a case for how the Falcons can stop Rodgers because they have all of that athletic talent. It's harder for the Packers. I just think that they're so outmatched at every single level that it becomes tough.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. And and I think especially now with, you know, Jordy Nelson's a big question mark for this weekend. I guess he was sick today. Um, so we don't even know if not to mention the, the rib injuries like he was like away from the practice because uh, he was apparently sick or whatever. And we don't really know the status of Devonte Adams. He, you know, hurt his ankle or, or his foot last week. And I think he's been, you know, re- really limited, if not, you know, just basically not practicing this week. And so we don't know his status. So McCarthy I mean, if, said man,
0: if this was a regular week, these guys would not play, right. which that has to worry you.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, even if they're in there, they're probably they're they're sub, you know, 100 percent. They're definitely probably like in the 70s or 80s in terms of like their full speed. So I don't know, man, it it I, I, I'm i with you. I can build a vision in my head where Green Bay definitely wins just because of, of Aaron Rodgers magic. But I can also see a situation this week where that magic kind of runs out and you're like, you know, you're going to guys that they haven't really relied on the last, like, 10 weeks or whatever. Their their offense has taken off because, I mean, you're missing two of your the biggest touchdown makers in Adams and Nelson now.
0: Well, we'll get to those. We'll get to the versions of the game. We're not going to build an upset this week. We're going to do each one, again, because we're beefing up just kind of how we're looking at these. But who is your hero of the day?
1: Well, I picked Deronimo Allison for the for that reason. and. Yep. It was basically just, you know, they need someone to step up this week. And he's been really, really solid for a rookie, Um, you know, kind of coming on late in the season and and just showing he has a lot of talent. And I think that, you know, if we're going to see the Packers come out of this game with a W – then it's going to be uh, kind of the Aaron Rodgers show, and he's going to be passing to, to some of these guys that maybe you know you don't really expect. So I see Geronimo Allison having a big game and kind of taking over for the Adams and, and Nelson, you know, role in that offense.
0: Uh, I, I picked another one for Green Bay just because I thought it was very telling. It's the same guy I picked last week, but for an entirely different reason. Mike Daniels to me holds the key to the Packers giving the Falcons offense some trouble because if there's one area of Atlanta's offense that struggles, that's not as good as the others, it's their guards, especially Mm. Chris Chester. And if Mike Daniels can really dominate the interior of the pocket as a pass rusher, I think that is the starting point to the version of this game that Green Bay wins because otherwise they're totally outmanned on that side of the ball. But if Daniels can really bother Ryan from the get-go, if Ryan can be uncomfortable without a lot of room to move in the pocket, That's the first step. And then from there, it's all Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) If if they they can bother Ryan on the interior, get a couple punts, a couple three and outs, a couple field goals even, that's where you just hope that the guy who – he's a mythical beast. Like That is is all there is to it. He needs to do exactly what he's done over the last two weeks. And as much as we've talked about the Falcons over the last ten minutes – I'm not fucking picking against Aaron Rodgers. Like, I don't, no, how can right? you at this point? <laughs> I mean,
1: this it's that's what makes this game so beautiful. Honestly, is that in in any other situation, I feel like you'd easily pick the Falcons' offense to be like the dominant group in this. But like, the the Packers are like basically just as good at this point. Um, you know, there's no one playing like Rodgers right now. I mean, obviously, you can look at the stats for Matt Ryan, but he's not playing he's the, the same way.
0: No, yeah. he's the MVP. But that there, there is absolutely a world in which Matt Ryan is the MVP and Aaron Rodgers is the best player in the league. Like right, that's not exactly. those two things are are they're not mutually exclusive. Like you can <laughs> we can we can have that reality.
1: Right. That's and that's exactly what I mean. Is it's just the plays that he's making are so absurd every week. Um, you know, getting out of the pocket, making throws. He made one throw last week that we didn't really talk about a ton. You know, obviously everyone talks about the 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 throw to to Jared Cook down the sideline that got them within field goal range, but he made another couple throws on the edge. Where one of them, he was he just got blown up. He got blew up kind of on the edge. And I remember in the game, actually, Joe Buck even said, "Oh, and Aaron Rodgers throws it away." And then they, and then I think it was Cobb caught it on the sideline. Yep. It was like so he they he literally thought he was throwing the ball away, but he hit like Cobb right on the sideline. So I mean, he's just making just absurd passes. Um, you know, still full control, kind of just at the line of scrimmage, he got a free play touchdown last week. And I mean, that's just kind of, it's like, we, it's almost cliche to talk about how good Rodgers is at this point. Cause he's just making so many great plays.
0: Have you seen a quarterback ever play better than this? Have you ever in your life seen a quarterback like this? No,
1: I yeah. honestly, no, because just, just the, like, and again, it's, it's the style of plays. He's making. exactly, exactly. You know Brady is a
0: mastermind and so is Manning but it's not this this is different
1: yeah and and I feel like honestly the way that Rodgers is carrying that offense is different than what we've seen in the past like yeah I mean it's almost like it doesn't matter who he's throwing to and that's kind of what again is like we I talked about earlier like they're not gonna have Adams and, and and Nelson but like honestly it just might not matter
0: yeah I <laughs> just because the way play, he's playing, it's crazy that we're there. So you're picking the Packers. Uh,
1: I actually picked the Falcons in this one. I'm kind of okay. and I I stuck with I'm sticking with kind of earlier impressions of the teams, and I kind of like you know early on I picked the, the Cowboys to go all the way, but I think just in terms of like balance on offense, like they have so many ways to be. The Falcons do. They have so many different guys that they can look to. They have a run game. Um, and, I, and you know, we'll see how their defense plays. They played pretty well against the Seahawks, honestly. So um, I, don't, I don't know how much that's saying right now, just because the Seahawks offense has been a mess all year, sort of off and on. But, I mean, they look pretty good against the Seahawks, playing around, like playing fast, hitting guys, making plays. So... I'm sticking I'm sticking with the Falcons, but I think this is going to be another one of those like instant classic games like we saw last week where it, but essentially I can see this whole game being like the second half of last week's game with the Cowboys and Packers where it's
0: just trading points. I hear you. The Falcons right now look like a better team. And I got a couple more numbers. I've got a couple more numbers for you from what I wrote today. Atlanta is 11th in pass defense DVOA over the second half of the season. Really? 11th. That's surprising. Guess who hasn't played over the second half of the season? Desmond Trufant. They got better. <laughs> That's really strange. And I think that in a way, it's a product of, like you said, they look fast. And Dan Quinn told me this week, he said, there's a difference between being fast and playing fast. And that mm-hmm. is the bridge that this team has crossed over the second half of the season. Seven of the 11 most played guys on their defense last week were in the first or second season of their career. Wow. They are so young. That almost inevitably they were going to get better as the season went along. And they are. They are just so much more in tune with the defense. They're playing with so much more authority. And that's why I I wrote about them this week, honestly. I just thought that they could really unlock this team's chance to win a Super Bowl. That being said. (laughs) (laughs) Here it comes. I've said it over the last couple of weeks, and I'm sticking by it. I'm not picking them. I'm not picking against them. <laughs> I, I, I'm just not. And I, I think just, that the Falcons are so a better changed. team right now. I really do. And I love the way that they've played. I feel like as they've tried to save a defense that was the worst in the league two years ago, the best way to do that is to give yourself a couple game-changing, game-swinging talents, and that's what they've done. It's It's been an, a beautiful just schooling in how to build a roster over the last two years in Atlanta. I am picking Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> oh man, I love it.
1: I, I always say you kind of you've got that Stockholm syndrome now thing where you're like, eh, maybe maybe I do love Aaron Rodgers actually.
0: I mean, I don't. I, I, I I've made it pretty clear that as a Bears fan, I still love the Bears. But as a professional in this business, right? You, you don't hate teams anymore because you understand that. Those are people, and I've spoken to many of them. That's the thing that <laughs> falls away. I can still love the Bears. I don't hate anybody. And if yeah. you, if you don't have an appreciation for what Aaron Rodgers is doing right now, you probably don't like football.
1: You need to. I mean, honestly, like if you're if you're not just taking this in and enjoying it, like you have to reevaluate why you're watching the sport. Because I mean, like we talked about a few minutes ago, I, you know, he's playing at a level that we've maybe never seen uh, from any quarterback, honestly, and so. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I I mean, I feel I was very reticent to pick the Falcons in this one. I, essentially, like home field advantage matters a little bit too, and, and I think that there's just a few things that that make Atlanta look slightly better. But like, yeah, it's like really really hard to pick against Roger at this point. Like,
0: how do you do that? Two points off of that. One, I'm gonna be in the Georgia Dome on Sunday for the last game in the Georgia Dome between the, these two teams, and I'm pretty freaking pumped about that. I'm yeah, very definitely. very excited. <laughs> two, just know. That in the lead up to the game, in the moments before it kicks off, as we kind of build up to this beautiful just display of point scoring, wonderfulness, (laughs) you you will have picked against Aaron Rodgers and you will have to live with that.
1: (laughs) That's a a decision I do have to accept. Yes. All right, bud.
0: Uh, Before we get to the other game, let's hear from a couple of our sponsors. No team goes into the season without a game plan. If they did, game day highlights would be nothing more than a Football Follies compilation. And, while follies are hilarious, Buffalo Wild Wings knows, fans prefer the taste of glory on game day. The kind of glory that comes with having 21 signature sauces and seasonings to choose from. Or a great lineup of cold and refreshing beers on tap. Or a collection of wall-to-wall flat screens so big, it would make your head spin. We cover all of those details, so they add up to the kind of game day experience fans can appreciate. And we do it because we appreciate fans. So, win or lose, if you're a fan, you still win in having the best game day atmosphere there is. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. We do it for you because you're a football fan. All right, bud. Pats, Steelers, let's Another do this. <laughs> I, uh, again, you wrote about some really interesting stats just about all, both of these games. You guys should go check it out on the ringer.com today. By the way, pretty freaking fun week at the ringer.com. No doubt. I I mean, just everyone. Yesterday was so great. I mean, Brian Curtis on Obama and sports. We had an oral history of the tuck rule. Allison Herman is doing fantastic work anytime she writes. I I am just incredibly proud of, of my colleagues over there. And I encourage you so, so much to go look at the work that they've done. Please do that. But
1: yeah, absolutely. I want I, I, to Pete Carroll always talks about competition, man. And every time I pull up the ringer, I'm always just like, damn it. I need to get better. Cause <laughs> there's just so many freaking good just writers and, and, and amazing articles on the website. I mean, if you look at it today, it's like there's like 10 new articles like that are all worth reading. It, like right now, it's, it's just insane. So, I mean, obviously, we're a little bit biased, but but I mean, it's objectively good stuff.
0: And hands up to the copy, de- copy desk. That's all I have to say. Oh, they are, they are, they are Kings among men. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's dig into this a little bit. What, uh, what numbers kind of stuck out to you about this one? Well, the first
1: thing, and, and I kind of wrote about this last week a little bit too, but you know, part, a big part of the reason the Steelers got to where they are. I mean, obviously you have that deadly trio on offense and, and you know, the killer bees and all that, but a big part of it is the defense has played a lot better over the totally. second half of the year. And a big part of that has been because they started blitzing like crazy. And, um, this was a stat from Pat Thorman at pro football focus, uh, you know, from week eight after their week eight bye, uh, the Steelers blitz 43% of the time, which was third most in the NFL. And then they grabbed an NFL high 30 sacks in that time. So, Essentially, they don't have they don't have a dominant you know force on the outside. I think Bud Dupree could be that guy someday. He's kind of coming into his own, but they don't have like you know like an, a pure edge rush type guy that you can just line up and get sacks with. So they're they're using creative zone blitzing, you know, dropping one guy, setting pressure from a, from a linebacker or a corner, and that's just been really really effective for them. So to me, that combined with the way that the Patriots and Tom Brady in particular plays against the Blitz is the story of this game. And I can get right into the next stat, which is Tom Brady, you know, he his whole career, he's basically been a Blitz killer. Like that's been one of the things that, you know, defines how he plays as a quarterback this year against the Blitz. He's a 66% passer, 14 touchdowns, no picks, eight and a half yards per attempt and
0: 131.4 rating against the Blitz. And that's what makes this super interesting is that, <laughs> Yeah. so if you look at it, I, I, I thought it was fascinating just because you saw what you needed to do to bother Brady last weekend. The Texans yeah. did it. They put it on film. And the good news about that for Pittsburgh is that to copy that, they only have to be themselves. They right. don't have to step outside what makes them comfortable because what Houston was doing, they weren't sending more bodies after Brady. That's how you get shredded up. They were sending four bodies after Brady in very creative ways, dropping guys off the line of scrimmage, really making him figure out who's coming and who's not. Mm -hmm. And it included Whitney Merciless rushing right over the center. And that's exactly what you're going to see from Pittsburgh. Both Ryan Shazier and Lawrence Timmons were among the top five in inside linebackers and pass rush snaps this year. They blitz and they blitz with those dudes. And that is exactly what you're going to see. You're going to see those guys coming off the A-gap. You're going to see them challenging Mm -hmm. David Andrews. And that's where you need to bother Brady for two different reasons. One, like Matt Ryan, he doesn't play well with the muddy interior of the pocket. That's where you can really bother him. And two, the two best offensive linemen on that team right now are the guys on the edge. Marcus Cannon and Nate Solder playing great. You're not going to be able to take advantage of them. In that area like you could in the past so trying to pick on a guy like Andrews is your number one option and that's exactly what the Steelers want to do anyway
1: yeah absolutely and I mean just just to kind of break it down get a little nerdy like let's do that I I love
0: you nerdy baby let's go
1: (laughs) so what we're talking about when we talk about you know the a-gap blitzing is you have one guy on each side of the center that's sugar in the a-gaps and Essentially, what the Steelers do is they line up like five or six or seven guys on the line and and that forces Tom Brady and, you know, their offensive line to set protections. Basically, you know, you have five guys on the line plus a running back and a tight end or whatever. And you have to assign protections based on what they're doing at before the snap. And what happens is they don't always blitz with those guys. They don't always bring pressure. So then you have guys blocking no one. Um, and then sometimes they do blitz with those guys and then you have one guy blocking two people. So what it does is just really confuses the offensive line. They don't know where the pressure is coming from. And that's why they're able to send guys up, you know, basically against nobody or, or you know, you have a Lawrence Timmons going 100 miles an hour through the through an A gap to take on like, you know, Deion, Deion Lewis. White. Yeah, Deion Lewis. Sorry. And so it's like he, he's got like 30 something pounds on him or whatever and it just bowls him over and Brady's down. So So, I mean, what's what the Steelers do is not new, but it's it's still effective and they have amazing athletes to do it, which is they got the bodies to do it
0: for sure. And and, yeah, and Shazier is the guy I picked as my hero of the day. I think (laughs) if he needs he needs a massive game for them to win and he needs it in the exact ways that we've talked about defense by definition is inherently reactionary because the offense is dictating most of the time as a defender. You're usually going to be playing off whatever the offense does. Mm -hmm. What the Steelers are trying to do with both this tactic and their overall defensive philosophy is to make the offense reactionary. Make the offense make decisions after the ball was snapped the way the defense normally has to. And over the last six, eight weeks, they've done that extremely well.
1: Yeah. The other thing, and I picked Shazier, too, and the other reason I was, that's exactly what I was thinking, too, but then the other reason is just coverage of linebackers and totally. things that, you know, we saw that the Texans really struggled with, I think they had, I think the Patriots had three touchdowns on, on you know, just simple routes by, rece- by running backs out of the backfield, and... I mean, that's the thing that the, the the Steelers have to really, you know, step up their game. Shazier is a really, really <clears throat> athletic, you know, very fluid athlete. And so I think he'll be able to hang a little bit more than you saw, like McKinney last week, just struggle against the speed at, at running back that the Patriots have. So um, he's going to be big. He has two picks in their last two playoff games. Um, you know, he, he's just kind of making plays all over the field. If he can have, like you said, if he can have a huge game that that gives them a chance to beat the Patriots.
0: And I feel like the Steelers can kind of negate one of the things the Patriots like to do, and that's New England loves going heavy and going play action out of it. They want to be able to take advantage of you in your base defense because, Mm -hmm. for the most part, when you're in your base defense, it limits the package of blitzes you can use. You have to be a little bit more vanilla in base. So when the steel when the Patriots bring out James Delvin as a fullback, Matt Langell as a tight end, they're trying to tell you, okay, we're going to run. And in reality, they're like, no, we're actually going to play action and throw it on you. (laughs) and that's going to be interesting to see whether the patriot whether the steelers take that bait whether they go a little bit heavier have to get out of those blitz packages and then have to cover new england with those young corners mm-hmm. against guys that now will not have pressure to aid them
1: yeah i mean this is just such a, a overall like this is such a fun like matchup because it's such a chess match
0: it's a beautiful chess match the idea of mcdaniels and keith butler and todd haley and bill belichick and matt patricia this is everything <laughs> you could want as a football nerd my man
1: i know honestly with the nfl we just as fans we just need to appreciate the, the, the two amazing matchups that we have this 100 percent so absolutely. This um, makes
0: the wild card round worth it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it makes the whole, you know, the whole first half of the season where we were. Exactly. It was boring because this is like kind of an ideal situation for the NFL when it comes to just, you know, you have four great quarterbacks in the in the playoffs still got, you know, you have solid coaches, Tomlin, Belichick. You've got all these great assistants like, you know, several of them probably be head coaches soon. And yeah, I mean, it's just a great
0: chess match on on both sides. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, can we mourn the Kyle Shanahan era in Atlanta for like thirty? St- <laughs> I don't. Let, let It's like a, a three-second moment of silence. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. We need to show respect <laughs> to what we just watched all season because that dude with that group of guys—holy shit—was it fun to watch? And now it seems like it's over, and you're gonna it's- have to deal with him. It's way too short. Okay. First of all, why do they always have to come to the fucking NFC West? Like, why is
1: is Wade Phillips in the NFC West now? Like, why are you doing this to me? Um, Second of all, I don't know if you saw this. um, Rhino Hanlon, my editor, sent me this clip, and it was from last year, early on in the season. Matt Ryan. I asked
0: Kyle Shanahan about that this week.
1: Yeah, that was so great because, so basically, to give the background, is um, Shanahan came last year to the Falcons, there were some growing pains, you know, they, they kind of switched it up that switched up the offense, tweaked it. Matt Ryan wasn't, you know, in his normal sort of world. And it took a little while for it to get going. And we've seen what it's become this year. It's basically one of the best offenses of all time. And there was a clip last year where Matt Ryan sat, sat down next to Shanahan on the bench after I think probably a scoring drive. And he was like, Dude, I can't wait till I know this offense inside and out because we are gonna destroy people. Yep. And it was just so prophetic and true. I mean, honestly, just it just if you think about the intricacies of an NFL offense, like how many plays there are, how many options in every single play, how many you know different changes you can do with a line of scrimmage, how you you know exploit different looks from the from the defense, how you adjust throughout throughout the game. Like, there's so much stuff you have to learn that. It takes a while and it's kind of just, it's bittersweet, honestly, for just the fans of the game that Shanahan's probably going to move on and we won't get to see that, you know, more than two years in a row.
0: Yeah. And it's a couple points I want to make about this and we'll trans- use this as a transition back into Steelers' Pats in a second. But <laughs> I-, I asked Kyle about all of that, more or less. And you're right in that there's so much you have to learn. But like Kyle said, he said, I could draw up everything in this offense pretty easily. I know it pretty well. I could never do it. And that's the difference, is that you have to be able to start doing it. You have to learn what it looks like in full speed instead of just knowing it on the board. And that's what takes a while to do. Yeah. And Ryan told me something kind of fascinating when I talked to him before Thanksgiving. I said, Thomas Dimitrov told me that the most important thing you and Kyle did this offseason was figure out what didn't work in the offense last year. I said, what was Mm -hmm. that? What were those things? And I talked to him about it. He gave me, you know, an answer, but it was a little bit vague. And I asked Kyle this week and he said, Matt struggled with playing with his back to the defense. He wasn't comfortable yeah. with it because he had rarely played in play action, for the most part, like the way that we use it. So he would Mm -hmm. just say, well, Kyle, why can't I just throw this without the play fake? And there was a little bit of a give and take there. And that speaks to what kind of reciprocal relationship an offensive coordinator and quarterback have to have, is that this is a dialogue. This is, what do you think works? What do you think works? Let's go back and forth about this. And you've seen that in a phenomenal way with this offense. And the other place you've seen that, and in a way, is the reason that the Steelers are able to become who they are, is that it hasn't been two years of Todd Haley. It's been almost five years of Todd Haley, and the way that you get to dig into the layers of an offense is part of what's made the Steelers group so effective. Roethlisberger, mm-hmm. Bell, Brown, this offensive line—they haven't had to set, hit the reset button, so it's allowed them to kind of develop these layers and nuances that have made them so dangerous.
1: Yeah, man, and that, and that's the kind of stuff about you know just the the inside game of football that that's so fascinating.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. So on that side, which I feel like you know, I love the idea of the Patriots offense against this version of the Steelers defense. But this P- Steelers the de- offense still has Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown <laughs> yeah. and Ben Roethlisberger. Like there's still They're some stuff bad. to watch over here. What is uh, what's kind of your favorite matchup or inflection point that you're going to be watching?
1: Well, the, the Chris Wesseling from NFL.com always tweets out amazing stats, by the way. So I'm always kind of just keeping an eye on his Twitter account. Um, he tweeted something the other day that made me think. And, and it's kind of funny because, you know, we all think about Dallas as sort of the offensive line, you know, just the ideal, the, the platonic ideal of an offensive line. But he said, as he t- pointed out, the Steelers are first in yards per carry before contact and run plays. Stuffed the fewest run plays stuffed, and then second in sacks allowed. So like this Steelers offensive line
0: is really really underrated. It is, and it's. I think there are a few factors that come into play with that. One continuity, they've missed six starts from their starters the entire season. Now, this is wow. Marquise Pouncey being able to play all a year, so that's played a huge role in this. The other thing though, and I think with this offense more than any other, is that those numbers are attributable. Sorry. Those numbers can be attributed to the offensive line in part, right? But Le'Veon Bell also plays into that, and I know that <laughs> I it seems you know. like his before the before contact isn't that all the line. I wrote about that this week. It's not what he's able to do with the way that he runs. And his running backs coach from college said this to me. He said he fits his blockers onto defenders because he stalls in the <laughs> spaces that he knows will draw people in to where his offensive lineman can get on them faster. And I yep. used a play from the Miami playoff game in the, the piece that I wrote. And he'll he's stopping as he moves off the B-gap. And in the way that he stops and where he does it, He brings Kiko Alonso back inside just a little bit and makes him pause, and it allows Alejandro Villanueva to get up on the combo to Alonso. So that Mm -hmm. may seem like it's before contact, which is a product of offensive line play. In reality, is the Steelers' offensive line very good? Absolutely it is. Does Le'Veon Bell make them look better at every turn? (laughs) 100%. It's kind of a beautiful, just... Symbiotic relationship They are yeah. as good Because they make each other Better in step It's it's perfect football
1: Yeah and, and I mean that's a perfect word for it Really symbiotic is because you wrote And you wrote about how He really studies just the offensive line blocking schemes and things like that and he knows intimately like how they think in terms of how they're going to try and block different you know defensive looks and so it works just to perfection and I mean I really enjoyed your piece just because he does he has a style all his own and I mean, we just don't see it. You, you talk about it's almost like the way he runs d- typically is described as a negative because you don't want guys stopping at the or, you know, quote, dancing at the line of scrimmage. You want guys who are going to run downhill and, and, you know, keep their pad level really low and all that. But he's the opposite. He, he makes it work because he's just so explosive. And you showed me another clip last week where he basically when he got when he like kind of takes the handoff and goes to the line of scrimmage. The, the defensive lineman just kind of stops. And so yep. his, his explosiveness almost just creates an extra gap, kind of like how the read option, you know, you have to like respect two different guys in the read option for
0: Le'Veon Bell. It's like, he's two guys. It's it, a it's, great he, comparison. You <laughs> negate defenders because you slow them down. You make yeah. them think, and that's what he does. It's kind of hypnotic and it works yeah. for him. And, and that's what I think that the, the Patriots have. That's their challenge. And Belichick talked about that this week. Marshall Faulk told me that he thought that the way that Belichick would try to attack Bell is to shoot gaps. You know, make sure they get mm. into those spaces. Don't be passive. Don't be cautious. But what Belichick said this week is, if you do that, he's going to find those creases. If you over penetrate, you're only opening more cutback lanes for him. There's yeah. a chance that's Belichick bullshit, and he's trying to put that <laughs> out there because it's what he wants to do. But it is a good point. You cannot overcommit because that's going to be a problem in and of itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, because then he's so amazing in the second level too. He's just gonna run away from guys. So, I mean, yeah, and, and it's 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 almost obvious, but it's like. Bell is going to carry this offense this week. And, you know, I think a lot of how the Steelers play depends on how the Patriots are able to defend him, because if they can't, then they're just going to lean on him the, pretty much the whole game. And he, he's so good in so many different areas. He's gr- great as a receiver. He's great, you know, just as a blocker. He's he's just so good at everything that um, he he's going to be a huge key player in this in this game, obviously.
0: I agree. And uh, kind of my first thought for who my hero of the day would be was Alan Branch, just because as a nose, you need to be such a factor in the mm-hmm. run game. Yeah. But to me, it's more so a guy like Dante Hightower because it's not the linemen that Bell negates in the running game, it's the linebackers because mm-hmm. they're so not used to reading and reacting to that sort of movement. And I think that's where you're really going to need to be great. Hightower is going to need to say, I need to understand what he's trying to do, not what he's doing now. And it's going to be a huge challenge like it is every single week. Uh, one thing that I just keep thinking about in this game is, is I can just see
1: the Steelers putting together like more than a few really long, just kind of methodical drives. And part of the reason for that, and and the idea is you keep the ball out of Brady's hands. You keep the, keep the game close. And I think it's just, you talked about it in your article. He has the, he has the ability to make what should be a two yard gain, a six yard gain. And, that keeps them on schedule that gives them so many options on you know like a second and four they can pass they can do play action they can run it again they can you know do a little toss to the side they have so many guys that can you know like antonio brown who can just take a little swing pass and and get five or six yards anytime he wants so um i just think the the steelers are going to try and control the clock in this one and i think they have the ability to do that I
0: think that they're going to try to get the ball in Bell's hands in every way possible. He's going to carry yeah. it a lot, but I also see him as a receiver in kind of some interesting ways. Matt Bowen in ESPN, who does phenomenal work. Like, I can't even yeah. speak to how good Matt is at what he does. He pointed out a play from the first game where Jarvis Landry was playing quarterback. Son of a bitch. <laughs> where Landry Jones was playing quarterback every single time. Yeah. Bell was in the backfield, and he ran what looked like kind of a typical angle route, but the Steelers added a little bit of a wrinkle to it where... They had DeCastro go out as a lead blocker Mm. because they threw it to Bell but behind the line of scrimmage. And it's that kind of stuff. I feel like they're going to try to use as many wrinkles as they can to get the ball in Bell's hands in every way possible. Because while Antonio Brown is still Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell is affecting games the way Aaron Rodgers is at this moment. He is just on a completely different level. He's unconscious. And I think you have to tap into that against a team that probably top to bottom is better than you. Yeah,
1: yeah. And... The other thing is, that I, I totally agree with you about that, the other thing it does is it doesn't rely quite as much on Ben Roethlisberger having a good game because he's so up and down. Yep. You know, obviously we've talked about on this podcast how different the stats are for him on the road versus at home. You know, if the if home version of Ben Roethlisberger shows up, then I think the Steelers will win. But... It just hasn't that that hasn't really been the case this year and so assuming that the road version of ben Roethl- roethlisberger shows up then i think bell is going to carry this game and, and i mean that's a game plan that they can still win even if roethlisberger doesn't really have a great game
0: all right buddy who you picking
1: uh, well this was tough but i, I picked the patriots um it's going to, I don't know. This was sort of just like the sort of the same thing that you're talking about with Aaron Rodgers. Do you pick a against Brady and Belichick at home? Like, I just have a hard time doing that. I um, don't. <laughs> I'm glad oh yeah that's this is actually kind of funny because it goes all the way back to the very beginning of the year you picked the Steelers to be in the Super Bowl didn't you I
0: did I also picked the Cardinals so that what doesn't look yeah, as good one out of two ain't bad I um, picked the Steelers to be in the Super Bowl I'm picking them to win this week I, I totally understand and it's it's kind of the opposite I am going against my gut here and okay. just the, the version of the game that I see and we kind of built those in pieces over the course of this conversation Bell having that big game touching it in a lot of ways. Shazier Mm -hmm. affecting the game in the middle of the field. Them being able to create pressure on Brady without bringing extra bodies to do it. I see it. It's not hard for me to imagine. I think that the Texans really showed where the cracks are. And the Steelers are a much better football team than the Texans.
1: Yeah, they are a lot better. and. Oh, man, yeah, cause it's just so tough, but I still see Brady being very, very good against the Blitz for the vast majority of his career. Last week, we saw him kind of get rattled a little bit. He wasn't himself. I don't think that it's going to happen again, and... I just think this is another stat that I, I used in my article today. Tom Brady led the NFL in sack percentage, which is the number of times he's pressured. It's the number of sacks he he's taken versus the no, number of times he's pressured. So essentially his ability to one, throw the ball away when, he, when pressure comes to slide and move around in the pocket, step up, elude pressure in kind of his, you know, just typical way that he does. He's very, very good at that. Um, I think that that kind of negates, or doesn't negate, but it mitigates the ability for the Steelers to kind of bring pressure. And so I think his ability to, to avoid sacks get throws off and, and make plays even in the face of, you know, a blitz that like the Steelers are going to do. I think that's going to be the difference in the game. So that's why I'm going with the Patriots in this one. I think we're really going to finally get a chance to see how good the Patriots defense is against, you know, one of the top tier uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. Cause it's been a while. And um, yeah that's just kind of to me this is such a great game because I really don't have a good concept of who's gonna win I just I'm not confident in it and I think that's what makes it so good
0: I'll uh, picking the Steelers and, and to echo kind of what the, the theme that's gone through this entire show let's fucking do this I am so <laughs> so pumped hell about yeah. watching these two games this weekend I mean this is this is everything you can want as a football fan everything you can Absolutely. want as a football nerd uh, it is going to be fun as hell Danny, thank you for doing this. We have one more game after this weekend, which pains me, but that's just (laughs) how it is. And to all of you, thank you for listening. You know, we appreciate it. And, man, enjoy the weekend. I know I will.